0: Next for this morning's sermon is Luke twenty four, thirteen through fifty three. Luke twenty four thirteen through fifty-three. I will be reading Luke twenty four, one through twelve. Luke twenty four, one through twelve. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. and be crucified, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning to the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, he saw the linen clothes by themselves and he went home marveling at what he at what had happened let's pray
1: father i pray that your word now would create faith in those who have never trusted in Christ. And Lord, I pray that Your Word right now would strengthen and sustain the faith of those who have already believed. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I look out at All of you, I know what I see according to what the Bible tells me about all of you. Every one of you was born a son or daughter of Adam. The first man to ever live Adam and Eve sinned and passed sin on to the human race. What does it mean to be born of Adam? It means to be born a sinner. What does it mean to be born a sinner? It means that at the core of your flesh, you will doubt God's Word. That's what happened in the garden. Doubting the Word of God. Some of you walk in here today never having trusted in Christ. Doubting Christ. Well, that can change today. Others of you have trusted in Christ, but if you were going to be honest to God, when you read your Bible or when you think about God, you often recognize a doubting spirit within you, a skeptical spirit, remaining flesh, remaining sin. This is what it means to battle against sin, is to battle against unbelief in God's Word. This morning we're going to Look at the story of two people. The two on the road to Emmaus. We're going to look at their story. We don't know if this is a husband and a wife. We don't know uh, if it's two men. We get the name of only one of them. But the events that is just Happened is it's three days since Christ has died upon the cross. And they're on their way home, away from Jerusalem. They're on the road to Emmaus, and this is what we read in verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were walking with each other, or, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. This is a supernatural keeping of them being able to realize who he is in this moment, and He said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. You could almost picture it. They're walking. Well, what conversation are you having? It's as if they stop and they look at Him like, are you crazy? They say, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem that does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up and condemned him to death and crucified him? But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some of our women, or some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that He was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but Him they did not see. Stop here for a moment. What is amazing about this story thus far. They had hoped that Jesus was the Christ. They knew He was a prophet. They knew He had done amazing miracles. Their friends, the, some women, went to the tomb this very morning and He was gone. From the tomb. Not only was he gone from the tomb, but two angels shining forth in bright light said he is risen just as he said he would. And they are walking sad away from Jerusalem without hope. And what comes to our mind at this moment? How dense, how unbelieving must you have to be to not just be bursting forth in joy? And sure enough, Jesus says to them, Oh foolish ones. And slow of heart to believe. Isn't it shocking unbelief? But look at what Jesus says. He doesn't say, Oh, foolish ones, you should have believed the women. Although they should have. You should have believed the angels that spoke to the women. Yes, you should have at least believed that. But what does Jesus say? O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Jesus says, here's why you're fools. Here's why. It's one thing, not to believe after seeing an empty tomb, but what about the hundreds of prophecies fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ? You're going to doubt the very words of the prophets which are the very words of God Himself. And it's easy here, for us to think how foolish they are. And yet, there's some here who have yet to believe in Christ, and there's others here whose faith is weakening, and Christ is becoming less real, to them there's people here who believe in an unsaving way which we're going to look at in a few minutes there's a way to trust christ and to be lost one of these categories probably describes you hopefully you're the christian that is growing in faith and trust in the Lord. What does it mean? What does he mean, oh foolish one, slow of heart to believe? Well, I feel like I know what he means. As I read my Bible, and skeptical, doubting questions continue to come to my mind, and I pray, Lord, help my heart. Help my mind believe. Evidence is not the problem. My, f- You know how I know the Bible's true? Because I feel the flesh inside me that is still here doubting when there's no reason to doubt. And so point one is Hey, foolish ones, believe the prophets, believe the word of God, trust God, the most trustworthy one who never lies, believe God. Point two, meditate on the faith creating and sustaining prophecies of Christ. Now, get this. Romans 10.17, Paul says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. You want to know where you, how your faith gets strengthened? You hear the Word of Christ. That's what I'm going to do for the rest of the sermon. I'm going to unleash in rapid fashion, don't even try to keep up, i got them in your notes. You can go look them up later. I want you to hear a little portion of the Word of Christ. And you need to hear it. There's no one here that doesn't need their faith strengthened. And there's some here that need to trust for the first time. And the way your faith gets strengthened is by hearing the Word of Christ Revelation 19 said, 10 says this, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Prophecy, speaking beforehand of things to come. It's all about Christ. In fact, in John 5.39, Jesus said to the Pharisees, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it's they that speak about Me. Here's what He tells the Pharisees. You're looking through your Old Testament and you're thinking you can keep all these rules. You're you're going to your Old Testament thinking there's salvation in them and they're all pointing to Me. That's what it's all about. The whole Bible is pointing to Christ. In Luke 24, 44, the end of this chapter, Jesus says, these are My words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about Me in the Law of Moses and the Prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled Jesus is that whole testament I'm here to fulfill and then Jesus says look at verse 26 was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer and then enter into His glory? Is this not what the prophets told us? Is this not the pattern of Scripture? All of God's chosen leaders go through trial before exaltation? If Christ is going to save sinners and if He's going to be able to relate to those who are weak? Will He not also become like us and suffer in our place? It's necessary that Christ should suffer. In fact, In Luke 18, Jesus Himself was prophesying His own suffering. He says this in Luke 18.31, "...and taking the twelve, He said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished." for he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. Do you think Jesus knew what was coming to the very detail? And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day's day, he will rise. That's pretty clear. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them. They did not grasp what is said. It was necessary that He should suffer. Hebrews 2.9 puts it this way, But we see Him for a little while, who is made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God He might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that He for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. You know, one of the biggest challenges to Christianity is you tell me why horrible things happen in this world if God is all powerful and he could stop them at any moment. So, number, number one question, skeptical question. So, God's good. He's on all powerful. Then why all the pain and suffering? Well, we don't know all the whys of what God does, but here's what we know. Jesus Christ became a man and He stepped into this suffering world and suffered more than anyone has ever suffered. That's all I need to know. It was fitting that He would come and suffer for those whom he would save. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. How is Christ going to come without suffering? So let me run through some suffering prophecies. Rapid fire, Genesis 3.15. Speaking to Satan, God says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her. He, Jesus, shall bruise your head, Satan, and you shall bruise his heel. So, the promised seed of the woman who will crush the serpent's head will be struck by the serpent. Or what about Genesis 22, 12-14, this all-familiar story where Abraham takes his only son Isaac, God says, go sacrifice him. Right as Abraham's going to slaughter his son, God stops his hand, says stop. And here's what we read. Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son." So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Well, on the mount of the Lord at Golgotha, God's only son, which the ram represented, Abraham grabbed that ram and slaughtered him. And that ram is pointing forward to one that's going to provide on God's mountain. Or how about Psalm 22? Listen, listen, Just this is a thousand years before Jesus was born. This is before crucifixion has been invented. How do you know when God speaks? Because He predicts the future. Listen to this psalm 22 we don't have time for me to read the whole thing but let me just read some of the verses verse 1 my god my god why have you forsaken me when jesus is on the cross and he yells out my god my god why have you forsaken me there was not chapter and verse in the Old Testament Scriptures, the way you reference the text is you said the first line of the text, and Jesus screams out, He says, Psalm 22! Psalm 22! My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you want to know what Jesus is thinking hanging on the cross, read Psalm 22. Jesus is saying, this is what's going on in my heart. My God, my God, why have You forsaken me? Why are You so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Verse 6 says, but I am a worm and not a man as the sins of the world are on him. Scorned by mankind and despised by the people, all who see me mock me. There's millions of people in Jerusalem that have gone there for the Passover. It's like one big party in Jerusalem. Everyone, Every Jew makes the trip there and as they're walking by, there's one up on the cross bleeding and dying. And a thousand years before it even happened, all who see Me mock Me. They make mouths at Me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let Him deliver Him. The very words they mock him with were predicted a thousand years before he even existed? He trusts in the Lord. Let Him deliver him. Let Him rescue him. For He delights in him. And in verse 12, many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of bash and surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water." The spear hits his side and blood and water flow. All my bones are out of joint, which would be if you were hanging on a cross. My heart is like wax. It is melted in my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to my jaws. All the accounts of any crucifixion. You become so thirsty, you can't even take your breath. Your tongue sticks to your mouth. My tongue sticks to my mouth and jaws. You laid me in the dust, dust of death for dogs encompass me. A company of evil doers encircle me. They pierced my hands and feet. Absolutely unbelievable. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me and hang on. They divide my garments among them and form my clothing they cast lots. What it would have been like to be walking with these two men as Jesus begins to share all these stories with them. How about Zechariah 12.10? Jesus could have said, pointed this out, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy so that when they look on Me, on whom they've pierced, they shall mourn for Him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over Him as one weeps for a firstborn. All predicting His suffering. Zechariah 13.7 Awake, O sword, against My shepherd. Christ is the shepherd. Against the man who stands next to Me. Who stands next to the Lord but Christ Himself? And here's what it says, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. As soon as they started striking Christ, His disciples went poof. They scatter from Him, all predicted. And how about this? 750 years before Christ was born, we have Isaiah's prophecy. Isaiah's prophecies of Christ's suffering are so crystal clear that opponents of Christianity said the reason we know Christianity is not true is because there's no way this could be predicted ahead of time. In our oldest copy of Isaiah 53 was after Jesus was already born, lived, and died. And so they said all they did is people fabricated this. After his death, they made up these prophecies. Well, in 1946, about a mile and a half off the, the shores of the Dead Sea, scrolls were found. In 1946, the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. There was agreement all around that these scrolls were 400, at least 408 years before Christ was born. The oldest scrolls we ever had. And news clips came out that a lot of the Old Testament Scripture was found here. And all the opponents of Christianity, so many of them said, okay, now you're going to find out that these are not true. Well, guess what? Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 53 were in there. Word for word. Listen to this. Isaiah 52:13. Behold, My servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. Lifted up. And many were astonished at you. His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. You couldn't even tell he's a human being. He was so beaten when he was lifted up, so that he, or so he shall sprinkle many nations. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. So as Christ is on the cross, God pours out His wrath for our sins so that you will never receive the wrath of God if you will only believe the prophets. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone in His own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet He did not open His mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before His shears is silent, so He opened not His mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for the, his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, he's crucified with two thieves, a thief, two thieves, sinners in his death with the wicked and with the rich man." This is Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, prophesied that this is where he will be laid. "...although he had done no violence and there is no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, He shall prolong His days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in His hand." So God says, I have a plan. Christ, you're going to go down. You're going to bear their sins. It's My will that I crush you for their sins. But when you do that, there's going to be sons and daughters. It will be a prosperous death. Out of the anguish of His soul, He shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one my servant make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Here's what that means. When you're accounted righteous, it means you're not righteous, but you're counted righteous. And Isaiah prophesied that there's going to be one who comes. He'll be pierced for your transgressions. And when you trust in Him, God will count you as though you never sinned. That's the only way you and I can know Him. And then verse 12 says, Therefore I'll divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sins of many and makes intercessions for transgressors. You tell me how hard it is to belief, how much evidence do we need on the table? This is just prophecies of his suffering. How about of just Christ in general? Because look at verse twenty-six or verse twenty-seven, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the script. Are interpreted them in all the Scriptures, the things concerning himself. Well, what did he say about himself? Let me just give you a little smidgen here. Genesis 12.2, Abraham's seed. I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll dishonor him who are in Him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. From the seed of Abraham, the whole earth is going to receive blessing. How about Isaiah 7.14? Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call His name Emmanuel, God with us. Or how about Isaiah 9, 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. How about Micah 5, 2? If Jesus was going to pull off the hoax of being the Messiah, he would have to get himself born in the right city. And you know the story, Jesus is from Nazareth, but When Caesar said you must go to your hometown for a census, Joseph and Mary, when she was nine months pregnant, took the long journey to Bethlehem. As soon as they get into Bethlehem, she's ready to give birth and fulfill this prophecy. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathra, O you who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, Whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days? There's going to be an eternal one born in Bethlehem. How about Isaiah 61:1? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of prison to those who are bound." Or 2 Samuel 7.12, speaking to David, "'When your days are fulfilled and when you lie down with your fathers, I'll raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish His kingdom.'" How long could Christ talk to these two men as He shows them? I can tell you right now, I'm tired. How about jeremiah twenty three five and six behold the days are coming declares the Lord when I'll raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land in his days Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely, and by this name by which he'll be called, the Lord is our righteousness How about Daniel seven thirteen and I saw "...in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man. He came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before Him, and to Him was given dominion and glory." Who is God going to give glory to? Dominion and glory and a kingdom... And all peoples and nations and languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away in His kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. How about Zechariah nine? 9? Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your King is coming to you. Righteous, having salvation is He. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on the full of his donkey as Jesus rides into Jerusalem as the king. He rides in as a donkey just as the prophets said he would. And all this is not to mention that Jesus is the priest after the order of Melchizedek, the greater Moses, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the sacrificial lamb, the scapegoat that suffers outside the camp, the blood over the doorpost, the serpent lifted up in the wilderness, Job's mediator that he's looking for to put his hand on God and himself. He's the stone that the builders rejected, the cornerstone. He's the horn of salvation, the greater Joshua, which means Savior. He's the good shepherd, the good teacher, the judge, the first and the last, the light to the nations, and so much more. And my question is, isn't it amazing? Could God have given us more prophecy to show us that Jesus Christ is your Savior and my Savior? And yet, and yet we feel unbelief rise up as though we can't trust God's Word, don't we? Do you feel unhindered faith that is so strong that never doubts? We need to go to this fountain that builds faith, God's very words. The problem is not with lack of evidence or lack of prophecy fulfilled or lack of miracles provided the amazing unbelief of the sinner's heart. Is it not shocking? And do we not need God to help us? Well, let's finish out this story. Look at verse 28 in Luke 24. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, And he acted as if he was going further, but they urged him, saying, stay with us, for it's towards the evening and the day is now far spent. I'm guessing it took a while for him to interpret all these Scriptures to him. So he went in to stay with them, and when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight." And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while He talked to us on the road, while He opened to us the Scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven. I mean, just imagine this. They know. They saw the Christ. I would have loved to see how fast they were running. They couldn't wait to get back to the disciples and to the women and to tell them, they rose that same hour and when they returned to Jerusalem, they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord is risen indeed. He has appeared to Simon Peter. And they told what had happened on the road and how He was known to them in the breaking of bread. As they were talking about these things, Jesus Himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And He said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your hearts? Isn't this amazing? See My hands and My feet that it is I Myself touch Me and see." For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy, they were marveling. It was too good a news. Imagine, they thought this was the one. This was their Messiah. This was their hope. He was dead. What a dark three days that must have been. But now... He's here. He's risen. He's explained to them that they as sinners can spend eternity with God. That their sins can be forgiven. It's too good of news. Have you ever got such good news? You just, for joy, you can't hardly believe it? And then it says, and while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, He said to them, have you something here to eat? He wants to prove that He's a real body, that He can even eat food. And here's just a little bit on the resurrection. You're going to get a body like Christ, and I'm going to get a body like Christ when we die. A body that can eat food, that has flesh and bones, one that'll last forever, it'll never get sick, it'll never perish. The hope you and I have that the grave is not the end of the story is because Jesus is the first fruits of those who will be raised. Just like the first crop comes in as evidence of crop coming behind it, Jesus is the one. And every grave site will one day be a resurrection site. One, a resurrection to life. And the other, a resurrection to the judgment of God and eternity in hell. All of you are eternal souls. Whether you like it or not, you will last forever. And where you spend eternity will hinge on whether you believed the Christ. Whether you believe Him that He's the One, that He's your hope. And then look at verse 44, then, they, then He said to them, These are My words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about Me in the Law of Moses and the Prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures and He said to them, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in all the nations beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. Here's the deal. 2,000 years after Christ, you're sitting in that pew and I'm standing here because these witnesses who witnessed this went and proclaimed eternal life and repentance and forgiveness of sins. That's why we're here right now. That's why a church exists. Have you heard the message of repentance? Do you understand the message? First Peter 3.18 says this. Now this is really simple. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God. You want to know what makes heaven great? It's not because golf courses are great there and because the streets of gold are so shiny. It's because you get to be brought in the very presence of God Himself. If God were to allow us to live in a neutral state after our sin, he would be giving us amazing grace. If he just said, You're not going to heaven? You're not, you're just gonna be in a neutral state, it would be amazing grace. If God said, Well, I'll let you into heaven, but you can't be close to me for my glory's so great, that would be amazing grace. If he said, I'll let you in heaven for a hundred years, and then you're going to hell, that would be amazing grace. But you want to know what our Lord did? He brings us right into the very home of God and makes us sons and daughters of God. And for all eternity He'll pour out riches on your and my head. Amazing grace. Will you believe, John 3.36 says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son does not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. You see, here's the facts. If you've never trusted Christ, every sin you've ever committed, you might think, well, God doesn't judge those. He hasn't struck me with a lightning bolt yet. Well, in Romans 2, he says, don't presume upon the kindness of God. Your sinning and wrath hasn't come yet. Because he says, because of your hard and penitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourselves on the day of wrath when He comes. So every unbeliever, every sin they commit is storing up wrath that hasn't come yet, but when Christ comes, it's going to unload on them. Well, the good news is, is Jesus came and He can swallow up all that wrath for every sin you have committed and every sin you will commit if you will believe in Him. Otherwise, the wrath of God remains on you. In John 12, after Jesus had done miracles we read nevertheless many even of the authorities are many even of the authorities believed in him now here's the type of faith that doesn't save they believed in him but for fear of the pharisees they did not confess it so they would not be put out of the synagogue for they loved the glory that comes from man rather than the glory that comes from God. There's a type of faith that says, yeah, I know He's God, but I'm not willing to count the cost to be set apart with Christ to make the payment of bearing His name. Don't let intellectual faith let your heart be at ease if you're not clinging to Him, willing to suffer whatever that may be. And I want to end by giving you hope for your faith. How is your faith going to endure and how is my faith going to endure? First Peter 1.3 Blessed be God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, He's caused us to be born again. You see, you and I are sons of Adam. We need a new birth from God to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, now get this, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be believed in the last time. Here's the deal, the only way your faith will last is because the power of God through the Gospel that I preach to you today and one like it will keep you strong. Because if it's up to your flesh, you will stop believing. And hear me, only those who cling to Christ to the end will be saved. Hebrews 9.27, says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, after that comes the judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. So eternal souls that are looking at me right now, are you eagerly waiting for Christ? Does that describe your faith. He's your only hope. All that could go good in the world ends up being like nothing in comparison to knowing Christ. He is your only hope. And it's my prayer that all of us will cling to Him and praise His name because the last verse of our text says, and they worshiped Him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Let's end this service by sinners that are so broken praising God for our only hope, gathering together, praising His name for our salvation. Father, thank You for the resurrection Thank You that You predicted it beforehand. Thank You that You suffered in our place so that we will not have to suffer under the wrath of God. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.